and welcome to the Hearth and Hedge podcast. My name is Amberly, and I'm so happy to have you today. I'm also so excited to introduce today's guest. Uh, he holds a master's degree in history and a PhD in geoscience, has written 15 books and numerous articles on astrology, science, archaeology, hiking, and travel. He has served on the Education Committee of the National Center for Geocosmic Research as both member and director, and has a professional certification from the American Federation of Astrologers. He also teaches astrology-related courses at Kepler College. Please welcome Dr. Bruce Schofield. Hi, Dr. Schofield. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. You're quite welcome. My pleasure. So... I usually start out by asking my uh, guests if they're drinking anything special. What are you drinking today? Well, right now I'm having a cup of cannabis leaf tea. Oh, I'm a little jealous. (laughs) That sounds delicious. My mom makes really good cannabis leaf tea. It is quite good. Nice. Uh, Are you reading anything exciting? Um, Yeah, I I read pretty much. uh, I have a pretty... uh, rigid schedule these days you know you get older and you find that predictability keeps you going and unpredictability (laughs) knocks you right down but I try to read every day for at least an hour or so right now I'm reading a a book um, a philosophy book called the nature of origins which is by Lawrence Cahoon who's a philosophy professor at Holy Cross and it's uh it's a metaphysical thing um you know um it's philosophy, a lot of big words. Uh, you know, before that, I, uh, I read a book called The Truth About Postmodernism by Chris Norris, another philosophy mm-hmm. book. But, but then before that, I read a, an anthropology book by Mark Cohen called The um, Food Crisis in Prehistory. Mm. So I read a lot of heavy duty stuff, and I can't say that I have a favorite author. Uh, before that, I read Madness and Civilization by. Uh, Michel Foucault. Um, they're all interesting, you know, idea books. Yeah. So you you stick with mostly the the nonfiction side of things then. Yeah. Once in a while, I'll read fiction. Not very often. I, when I do read fiction, it just goes by so fast, I can't believe it. Yeah. I'm used to all this <laughs> ponderous stuff, and I, you know, I have um, I pick up a lot of books at the uh, Amherst Town Dump. Uh, oh. at, they have a a room there. A separate building with bookshelves and people bring books and you know a lot of the book dealers go down there and scrounge through it and pick out stuff and every once in a while I'll find a real gem and read it and then sell it on Amazon for 20 bucks that's awesome you know but I I, I pick up quite a bit there and you never know what you're going to get in right. fact I was there last week when I was taking my recycling recycling materials down and I found a, a history of uh, Catherine the Great in Russia, which I don't know a lot about. So this is a good time to learn about Russian history. Wow, that's amazing. I wonder if my dump has one of those. <laughs> I usually just go down to like the secondhand bookstore, but I think that would be way more fun. <laughs> yeah, you, we used to have a lot of bookstores in Amherst and they've kind of closed down. Uh, you know, Books aren't like what it used to be. I think when I moved here in 1989, there were 10 bookstores and about two of them were new and eight of them were used. And now there's only two mm. and they're both new. Wow. Yeah, you, you, there's just really nothing quite like walking into 
a used bookstore that smells kind of musty. Exactly. A little gross. <laughs> I could spend all day there. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's been a big part of my life. Yeah, it's a shame that that's kind of fallen by the wayside. Well, now I have the dump. That's right. That's I right. Meet people there, you know, and uh, it's a <laughs> you could you could take it or leave it. This that's actually what it's called. You know, you bring in stuff that you don't want. And, but there's always somebody there that's aggressively throwing away books, particularly textbooks, because otherwise the place oh. would fill up. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I have a few that I would uh, I would probably take there. <laughs> well, maybe not. I've had them for I don't know, 15 years now. I guess I'm I guess I I like them. <laughs> what, what do you read? Um, I well, mostly metaphysical books because of my podcast. I don't usually have time to read uh much of anything else but um i really enjoyed your book oh, thank you yeah it was definitely extremely interesting um i'm glad to hear that yeah and i, I didn't I, really know how it would be received because it's kind of like three books in one you know you yeah have three sections and they all kind of st they stand alone it's long you have five over 500 pages you know? yeah and some of it gets a little technical but i wanted to introduce introduce it as kind of a science book at first you know mm -hmm. and, and get that over with and then go into kind of history and philosophy and then the, the last section is uh pretty much all about astrology and what it is and what it isn't yeah the science uh at the front actually gave me a little bit of heart palpitations because i had already agreed to interview you and then i was like oh my gosh is this not right for my <laughs> podcast but then it ended up being perfect and I really really I mean I loved it I loved it it was really cool and I learned a lot about um actually how everything kind of works together like the sun um what was it that you had had stated that there were some clams brought from the east coast to the west coast right yeah, yeah. um it's uh Frank Brown's experiment yeah and they had they had kept their schedule from the East Coast for a while, yeah. and then they eventually switched over, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, th that's a very controversial experiment um, because they tried to do it. They moved moved them. Uh, he moved them from uh, Cape Cod, basically, to mm -hmm. uh, Chicago, north uh, northwest. Oh, okay, that's right. That's right. And they they did. He he had their um, you know the the bivalves open and close, and or, or they guess they were oysters, but they open and close. And he had wires on it so that would, you know, when they were closed, they would make a connection. And then when they were open, it would, you know, drop the connection. And so that mm -hmm. would be recorded. So that's how we did it. But somebody tried it and moved him to California. It didn't work at all. Hmm. And uh, there, so there, there are a lot of things that that experiment and others are kind of controversial in some ways, because sometimes they were they are replicated well and other times they're not. So there's probably right. other factors that are uh, dealing with it. And I, I bring out uh, a focus on Brown because he was the first guy to say, wait, it's not just, you know, the moon, there's something else going on. There's magnetic fields and mm -hmm. air pressure and water pressure and all that. And uh, when he got, in, you know, they didn't like his results and he was kind of a, a thorn on the side of the mainstream and in, in biological rhythms mm -hmm. at the time. And they took his, uh, he lost his grants, you know, they attacked him. Uh -huh. And so he started working with real low budget experiments uh, like potatoes. He was testing out potatoes and learned all sorts of things. I did um, have the opportunity to work with 
one of his students who was at UMass when I was getting my PhD, he was on my committee. And he told me all these stories about Brown and how, you know, he was he um, he was just reduced in stature. I mean, they just they couldn't stand him, but he kept going and he kept doing the, you know, the kind of science that he was into until his death. Well, good for him. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, that was extremely interesting. And actually, I um, so my my brother-in-law thinks that astrology is a bunch of fooey, right? So when I picked up your book and I started reading and I said, this is the book you need to read about <laughs> astrology. <laughs> well, if he ever reads it, let, let me know what he thinks. I will. I will for sure. <laughs> so now I want to jump into the meat of the discussion. Um, I would really, really love it if you could give me your definition of astrology. Okay. Um astrology we know it's a very old subject its origins mm -hmm. go back about three to four thousand years and it took the form at least in the west it took the form that we're familiar with about two thousand years ago okay and uh what it does is it measures photo period that's the zodiac that's the the day night ratio mm -hmm. if you're born at cancer in cancer the day's long and the night's short if you're born in Capricorn, it's the reverse. So, you know, it, the Zodiac kind of captures that real physical quality of our environment. Mm -hmm. And then you have the aspects, which are like phase relationships between planets, you know, mm -hmm. sun and moon, the different phases of the moon, but that's applied to all the other planets. And the houses measure what's called um, uh, the diurnal cycle, the daily cycle, every planet goes all around the earth in one day, mm -hmm. just like the sun does and the moon does. And so the houses are a device to measure that. So what I'm saying is that all the components of astrology are not that far out at all. They're, they're more or less exactly the same things that the biologists were do, are doing and have been doing for a long time. Now, my bigger perspective is, and this is in a, in a sense what I'm saying in the book, is that what astrology is, it's a set of mapping techniques for dynamic self-organizing systems. Now, mapping techniques, it's, you know, the, the birth chart, commonly called the horoscope, although it's not mm -hmm. quite correct, but that's a graph. That's mm -hmm. basically a graph. So it's the what the astrologers are doing are, are looking at a graph, a time slice, which is made up of information that's absolutely scientific. Nobody makes that up. This is not like a tarot throw mm -hmm. or the roll of dice. This is this is you know accurate astronomical information. And then the other part of my definition is that what it's doing is it's measuring and mapping out and analyzing self-organizing systems. So what's a self-organizing system? Well, this, a cell, uh, 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 which is complete in itself in a way. I mean, it sustains mm -hmm. itself, it, you know, metabolizes, it reproduces, it's self-contained, it interacts with its environment, but it's still self-contained. It's, 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 it's a living thing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, an organ in a body or the body itself is a self-organizing system. If anything goes wrong, it dies, you know, so, it, yeah. so it's got to keep organizing. It's got to keep working at beating entropy, you know, because mm -hmm. things want to wind down. But then we have these other um, self-organizing systems. On the physical level, we have weather, 
you know, wet, there's all this air movement going around all the time. And it's mm -hmm. affected by the sun. It's affected by the rotation of the earth. It's affected by the, the contours of the surface of the earth, mountain ranges and so on. But it's constantly in motion. And it's, it's self-organizing in a sense that it stays relatively stable. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we're, you know, suddenly we don't lose our atmosphere, you know, and, and climate is similar, but it's, it's on a much vaster scale. Mm -hmm. You have to go into think, start thinking in terms of deep time. And, um, and then there's other strange, even more strange self-organizing systems, like the sense of self, you know, consciousness or uh, collectivities like a nation or a good example is the stock market. Mm -hmm. The stock market is, you know, produces numbers every day, but it's the result of the, the um, it's a self-organizing system based on all the people that are involved in it. You know, like it emerges out of human culture, but there are other things like that as well. You know, the, the uh, nations and clubs and teams and families mm -hmm. and things like that. They're all, they all have a certain kind of continuity that's uh, you know based on communications, mutual communications, and they, they retain their uh, individuality over a long period of time. I one of the books I read this past year that I found at the dump was uh, "Democracy in America" by uh, uh, De Tocqueville, right? Which is was written around the 1820s, came from France and toured America and described the American national character. You read it and it sounds exactly like today. There's been no change. So it's an example that there, there are these entities that are, they're immaterial in some ways. You know, they rely on physical bodies and people with their thoughts and their consciousness to exist, but they retain a uh, um, characteristic that persists over time after the people that started them died out. There's still a persistent character. So what astrology does is maps that out and measures it and using primarily the time slice method, which is you look for a crucial turning point or tipping point or bifurcation point like birth, mm -hmm. which you get launched out of the womb and suddenly you go from water breathing to air breathing and you're separate, you're an individual. That's a crucial moment, cast a, uh, a chart for that. Right? And then you can also look at things in terms of ongoing cycles like the cycle of this year, the cycle of the moon, and so on. So those are the two primary techniques of astrologers. There are some others. But so it's kind of like graphing techniques and analytic techniques applied to self-organizing systems and nothing else. Astrology does not deal with, you know, things like the temperature of the ocean or, mm -hmm. you know, the flight of birds or anything like that. It's uh, very specific to these self-organizing systems, one of which we call personality. And that emerges out of all our thoughts and behaviors. Mm -hmm. Exactly how, how this happens is still under investigation. There's, um, it's called emergence. And philosophers debate it and scientists study it. And it's, uh, it's a big deal, but it's not settled by any means. And it's spread out over many disciplines. The mathematicians get involved in this and they call it complexity and chaos. <laughs> You know, and uh, the biologists, you know, talk about it as, uh, you know, e evolutionary organismic and evolutionary biology. And the geoscientists talk about the Gaia theory and how the Earth 
uh, you know, holds itself together. So it's spread out over the disciplines and it's very hard for people to, um, you know, put it all together. And that's what I've tried to do in the book. But yeah. anyway, that's pretty much wraps up what it's, what I think astrology is and, and, you know, how my book tackles it. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, you answered multiple questions there. That was great. <laughs> Uh, so in your book, you also touch on the subject of astrometeorology. Yes. Uh, can you explain that a little yeah. bit? Yeah. The, when astrology originated way back in Mesopotamia, 3,000 or more years ago, mm-hmm. there, were, there were these professionals that observed the sky and observed what was going on in the world around them. And they were they're sometimes called astronomer astrologers. And they um, noted things uh, like events that was happening, what the king was doing, uh, if there were any monstrous births, uh, if any wild animals came into town, what the value of one shekel was, and what the weather was. So the, uh, the correlation of weather with the planets goes way back to the origins of astrology. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward to about 2,000 years ago, and you have uh, astrologers like Ptolemy, who's you know one of the great scientists of the ancient world, writing about how you can predict the weather with using the planets and using ingress charts and so on. And, you know, move ahead another thousand years, and you've got people, you know, uh, the, doing what's now called astrometeorology or something like it. You know, um, but they're also doing normal astrology. Um, I should perhaps say that astrology has traditionally been divided into two groupings from the time of Ptolemy on, that's 2,000 years ago. And one is natural astrology, which is the astrology of the weather and floods and plagues and the fates of cities and wars and plagues of locusts and things like that. And judicial astrology, which would be charts of people, horary charts, you know, answering questions and electional charts. Um, picking times to do things. So those are more Mm people-oriented. So astrometeorology was part of natural astrology. And it it, um, continued to develop. There were a lot of people that objected to it, but for the most part, everyone thought it worked. And that was the only way they were predicting weather back then. And then when the printing press came along, you started getting the almanac makers. uh, You started getting almanacs and the almanac makers would put in an a weather forecast for the year ahead. And so that kept going on. Benjamin Franklin's Poor Richard's Almanac had astrological forecasts in it. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he did them himself. At that point, it was there were a set of rules. You know, the sun was making an aspect to Saturn. It was, you know, it was a good idea, you know, indication that it would likely be cold at the time. And if the sun was conjunct Mars, it would be warm and so on. And there were more, uh, there was a lot of subtlety and you had to take into account all the different combinations and multiple aspects happening on one day. I mean, that's a lot of blending, you know, but, but that's how it was done. And astrometeorology was tested by a guy named John Goad. And I talk a lot about him in the book mm-hmm. in the 17th century. And he tried to test astrometeorology scientifically, but he, he couldn't do it because he didn't have the instrumentation and he didn't have the math. So it just kind of stopped there. Mm-hmm. It didn't die out completely. It remained in the almanacs, but um, fewer and fewer people became involved with it. 
And today, uh, there's still people doing it. It's not as well known as natal astrology, but it has been a part of astrology from the beginning. Yeah, well, I get my, my farmer's almanac every year. <laughs> you know, they have changed their tune. They used to do things with um, a little more astrology. And maybe about 40 or 50 years ago, um, they, they dropped that. They have a formula that if you search around mm -hmm. the internet, you can find it's based on the time of illumination, the time during the day. And that might have been something that um, one of the founders of that particular almanac was using. But they also bring in the National Weather Service and they bring, they look at uh, information like that and they look at sunspots and their record is not very good. I don't know if you've noticed, but I, 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 I don't think their, their weather forecasting is much better than 50-50. Yeah, it's not great, but I like the, the silly articles that come with it too. Well, that's, that's why, that's why almanacs are so popular. They were, they were all you could get back then. That was a magazine. Mm -hmm. And you'd get with William Lilly in the 17th century, you'd get political forecasts and um, you'd get when all the holidays were and you'd get calendar and, you know, and that's, you know, they were selling like crazy. Yeah, well, it makes sense. A great product. You have to have a new one every year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Job security. Yeah. Um, so that kind of brings me into, you were talking about Saturn. Um, you have a chapter on the signal from Saturn. Yeah. Um, you want to elaborate on that a little bit more? Well, when I was doing my PhD thesis, um, and I should back up, I worked for um, a microbiologist and evolutionist named Lynn Margulis. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of her? I have in the introduction of your book. <laughs> okay. Well, look her up sometime. She was she was quite a character and um a major scientist. Uh, her, her first husband was Carl Sagan and uh, she left him and went on to other things and made a name um, in uh, microbiology for a couple of things. And, but basically the idea of symbiosis. Mm -hmm. You know, ev most evolutionists, uh, people that study evolution, you know, think about random mutations and survival of the fittest and things along those lines competition. Um, Lynn brought in the idea that symbiosis or the joining together, the merging of organisms was just as much a force. And she was rejected for a long time, but then she came up with some good evidence and they kind of um, started calling her the vindicated heretic. Mm. So she's, she was quite a character. There's, there's a great movie about her. Um, it's on Amazon. Uh, it's probably like a couple hours long, but you, you know you might be able to rent it or whatnot. And I I I forget the exact title of it right now, but it's about Lynn Margulis, and I actually appear in it in a few cases. I don't say anything, but I'm, you know when they show her, you know discussing discussing things. But um, anyway, I met her in uh, 1999, something like that, at a mm -hmm. book book signing thing for the town nature center and we talked and we decided to do some hiking because we had both been hiking this this trail it's uh, now it's called the new england trail mm -hmm. and it's a long trail you know it takes you if you hike the whole thing it takes you a couple of weeks something okay. like that um but 
we did that and we got to know each other and she decided she recruited me basically she said look i want to hire you but you have to get a phd i said well you know i've tried to get phds before i went to the history department i wanted to do something with astrology they said no way i went to the classics department and i went and the, the guy that was sort of sensitive to astrology died so i said she says well look you could do you could do something with astrology there but it can't be anything to do with astrology and people she says and i'll back you up on it. so she let me do it that awesome. would have never happened nobody else would have let me do it in fact one of the the original uh members of my committee was the head of the the uh, geosciences department and he's like a major climatologist in the world and he kept complaining he says your work is not going to make any money for our school no one is going to give you grants and uh, Lynn Margulis thought that was hilarious. She just laughed him off and we, play, and we replaced him with somebody else. But um, she let me do it. And I uh, basically tested some of this almanac stuff that we've been talking about, mm -hmm. in particular, sun aspects to Saturn and cold. And I had temperature databases that go back 150, 200 years or so. And so I did studies and compared them and I got pretty good results. Some of the people on my committee were kind of shocked and they checked my work and they couldn't find anything wrong with it. And it just kind of, you know, I got the PhD and nobody, nobody really wanted to talk about it after that. <laughs> they were kind of glad to be done with it. But she was okay with it. She, she thought it was great. Well, that's awesome to have some support from someone. Yeah, unfortunately she suddenly died, you know, like not long after that. And oh. So, uh, uh, you know, that was a shame. Yeah, that is a shame. So was that frustrating for you, not being like really supported by your peers? Well, if you're in astrology and you're in academia, it's always like that. Uh, I can... you, know, you learn to keep your mouth shut. I don't know if you caught it, but at one point in the, that book, I say, I was, you know, I worked at UMass for about 12, 14 years, something like that. And during that time, no one really, except with a few exceptions of a uh, couple of other students that I was hanging out with, asked me an intelligent question about astrology. And they all knew I did it because Lynn Margulis was blabbing all the time. Uh -huh. She was going around trying to see, you know, how people would react to it. She, mm -hmm. you know, she thought it was hilarious that these people would have these intense, almost apoplectic re reactions. <laughs> and then she would start quizzing them and how much they knew. And she says, they didn't know anything. But yet out of that, she said there were, and I met some of these people and out of the woodwork, there were a few professors that were secretly into astrology. It's interesting. They wouldn't, and they, they would come up to me and says, you know, I don't like to talk about this with anyone, but I, I, I know what you're doing and let's have our conversation. So there are a few people in science that are looking at it, but you know, it could ruin your reputation. Yeah, I can see why. I didn't Mine. have a reputation to ruin, so it didn't bother me. <laughs> well, that's lucky. Yeah. <laughs> so what what do you hope that readers will get out of your out of reading this book ultimately? That, that's a good question. Well, I, I I hope that people who don't know anything about astrology but are fairly well educated and curious would read it because you know, they would probably find it to be an interesting account of all the different sides of astrology. And, 
you know, I'm not, I'm not trying, I'm, I'm not going off the deep end anywhere. The book is very down to earth, I think. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not telling anybody that the universe is this way or that way. I'm just saying, well, this is, you know, this is what it looks like. I'm a naturalist, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who sits out and looks at the, what's going on around and tries to make some sense out of it. I'm not a, a theoretician who comes up with an idea that everything is mind and then tries to force it on you or everything is physical, you know, I don't go there. Right. You know, but, um, and then I hope people that already know something about astrology, take a look at it too, because I think the the information about the history of astrology and how it got into the mess that it's in and how it got marginalized, basically, mm-hmm. uh, I think would be helpful. And that the chapter that I call marginalized is kind of a, an, an objective look at where astrology is at in the world in general. And a lot of people don't, um, wouldn't have a chance to see it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, most of the time, astrologers are arguing among themselves whether astrology is an art or a science. That hasn't been going on since I got into astrology, which was 1967. And they, it keeps going on. It's in, on my Facebook pages. People are still arguing this today. That's hilarious. Can, you know, and what I'm saying is you're missing the point. It's a subject like medicine. It has a practice. A practice is not a science. But theory and research can make a science. Mm-hmm. And astrology is weak on research and weak on theory. But there's some of it. And then there's also history. And astrology is good on history now. We've gotten a few people who've uh, done some great work with the history of astrology. Mm-hmm. But you, you, know, you have to stand back far enough to see that what people call astrology is just the, the practice side of a, of a larger field that just mm-hmm. happens to be undeveloped. There are no institutions supporting astrology. So that's why we don't have uh, a lot of progress in theory and research. There's a little bit. That's a shame. Yeah. 99.99% of astrologers are practice, are in practice. And you have to do that to make a living. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You, you can't go out and get a job. You can't look at the wine ads. <laughs> You have done extensive research on Mesoamerican astrology. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be honest, I know very little about it, um, but what attracted you to that aspect of astrology? Well, that's that's been part of my, you know, my lifelong quest has been to try to figure out what astrology is. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't getting, I was getting, people would come up with answers, but they weren't really satisfying me very much. And, um, it was in 1976, I had a back surgery from a, a lifting accident. I had a, a spinal fusion and a laminectomy. And I was in the hospital for about a week or so. And so I brought, I brought a book to read and it was uh, The Disco- Conquest and Discovery of, of Mexico by uh, Bernal Diaz del Castillo. I think that's the, there might be another name, it's Spanish. So I'm reading this in the hospital and then suddenly we get, you know, we're, we're into this, the part where Cortez is like destroying the Aztecs. First, he's playing games with him mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, putting uh, Moctezuma in, a, in, you know, house arrest. But then all these astrology things start popping up. They have this astrologer comes in and he says this. And I said, what? I had no idea that the Aztecs had astrology. So I started looking into it. Sure enough, the Aztecs and before them, the Maya and 
uh, there was an elaborate kind of astrology there, and it was very different from the astrology I was familiar with, which is mm -hmm. Western Mesopotamian and Greek astrology. So I dug into it for a long time and uh, tried to wrap my head around, around it. And I wrote some books on it and uh, went to Mexico a lot. That was fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not a bad place to do some research, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, um, I kept with it for a while and then I, I uh, backed off on a few things. And then 2012 came along and people were making a lot of noise about it. And I thought I should probably jump back into it then since I knew a lot. So I, I, I uh, you know, uh, wrote a few articles and did some TV shows. I was on the History Channel a few times and mm -hmm. talked to people. And um, I knew John Jenkins. He was a popular writer at the time and a few others. And uh, since then, I haven't done much. Uh, you know, I, I um, fleshed it out basically and kind of interpreted it for English speaking people. My books have been translated into Spanish and a few other uh, languages. And um, the last one I did was how to practice Mayan astrology. Mm. That was also published by Inner Traditions. And that was probably around 2004 or five, something like that. Okay, so just to clarify for the listeners, 2012 was when everyone was worried that the Mayan calendar was ending, right? Yeah. Yeah, so the world was going to end again. Well, it was basically, <laughs> you know, the, the, here's, here's what it really was, is that the, this was um, a uh, kind of a thing orchestrated by a few people uh, based on some assumptions. Mm. Uh, it is true that if you look at the long count, which is several calendars, I mean, my calendar is kind of a not a, a, an appropriate word for it, but it's mm -hmm. easy to, for a lot of people to grasp. The, the archaeologists call it the long count. Okay. It's a period of 5,200 years. And it's broken into segments called Bakhtuns and Katuns. There's 260 Katuns, which are roughly 20 years each. And there's 13 Bakhtuns, you know, which are uh, 400 years each, roughly. And nowhere in any Maya surviving manuscript or on any inscription does it say that what, what's gonna happen when it winds down, except for one possible questionable inscription. Mm -hmm. So it's not that the Maya prophecy was, you know, that there was a Maya prophecy that was written and people were going with. There were some people who had a megaphone who were making a big deal out of it. And it, yet it is true that that's when that long count would conclude mm -hmm. and another one would begin. And if you know anything about Maya cycles, they end and begin, they just keep going. Presumably there was a long count before 3000 BC when you know, this one started. Okay. So it was um, a lot of hype in my opinion. And one of the things I would say is people were, would ask me, what do you think is gonna happen in December 21st, 2012? I said, well, it's gonna be a Friday and people are gonna be shopping for Christmas. And I was proven right. But I would answer. also say that if you want to look at the astronomy of it, we had there are some interesting things going in in the astronomy, but you can't put it put it down to one day. Mm -hmm. 
you know, that I would say from the late 19, late 20th century through the early 21st century was a period where the winter solstice point was crossing the um, galactic equator. You know, say, say the galaxy, we see the galaxy, we call it the Milky Way, we see the edge mm -hmm. of it. And if you take the average of where all the stars are and you form, you know, the, the center point, the equator. Okay. Yeah, the winter solstice point by precession, precession of the equinoxes, mm -hmm. uh, would, would cross that point. And I said, you know, and exactly where that was is questionable because, you know, where the line, the galactic equator is, is a little debatable. I mean, we're talking, you know, minor adjustments, but the precession is so slow. Mm -hmm. It's one degree every 72 years. Right. So we're, you know, we're still in it now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe in retrospect, you know, it has some correlation. Does it have an effect? I don't know. I, I can say one thing that there's just, you know, in the last century or so, we're getting too many people and uh, we don't know what we're doing. You know, and <laughs> we're the human beings are in denial of the mess that they're making. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a true story. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that it co coincides with the, the Mayan long count on a larger scale, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's something to it, but I don't have an answer to that. There's a, one book that I thought was pretty good during that time that I wrote the introduction to it called Decoding 2012. Melissa Rossi wrote it. I wrote the beginning. Mm -hmm. Small book, but there were so many things written on it and they, everybody had so many, there were so many crazy ideas floating around as you, I'm sure you know. Yes. <laughs> Um, so on the website that you have with Barry Orr, uh, mm -hmm. which is oneread.com, right. uh, you have a section on divination where yeah. you can enter a question and then you enter a series of numbers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you tell me how that works and how it came about? Yeah, well, the, the uh, Maya, you know, astrology slash divination survived the Spanish conquest in some form and is still used today by people that are called day keepers in Guatemala and Mexico. Mm -hmm. And they um, have a bag of uh, beans and crystals and things like that. And they throw them on a table and sort them out. So it's sort of like runes or dice or tarot cards, same kind of thing. They sort them out and then they correlate it to the, um, the daily calendar. There's a thing called the Zolkin. 260 day count. That's like a calendar in itself. It's a, called the divinatory calendar and it relates to astronomical motion. So I call it the astrological calendar and divinatory calendar. But anyway, they did that and they do it. I mean, it's a real thing. And um, I was working with a Mexican psychic, a woman named uh, Angela Cordova, and we made these tarot cards and we came up with ideas, you know. Uh, in um, various ways, uh, trance, dreams, whatever, but we got images for the 20 key day signs and I painted pictures of them. Mm -hmm. And um, we made a divination kit out of it and it came with 13 chips that had 13 numbers on it, Maya numbers. And you, you know, pick some cards and you throw some chips and you get an arrangement and, uh, we wrote a divination book that goes along with it. It's, it's out of print, but I still have some, a version of it that I still sell. People buy it now and then. 
it's pretty rare these days. Mm. Like I said, it was probably about 85 or something like that, that it came out. So when Barry and I were putting this together, you know, I think he may have come up with the idea. He says, why don't we put a divination thing in there? It's easy enough. And so we just took my delineations that I had written previously, popped them in there and uh, used a random number driver. Mm-hmm. A lot of people like it. I, I think it's super cool. <laughs> did you try You try it? I did. I tried it today. And uh, my question was, will my interview with Bruce Schofield go well? <laughs> <laughs> What'd you get? <laughs> I got uh, this. The significator was seven, the serpent. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this position, it says means there's something almost mystical, mystical or incomprehensible about the present conditions. A kind <laughs> of har- <laughs> a kind of harmony has been reached, but it is fragile, balanced, and could be easily lost. Uh, and then I got. Uh, the challenge is also the serpent. Um, uh, there's something very complex about the conditions affecting the matter at hand. It may be difficult to determine just what is happening or has happened. It is possible that events are being manipulated or affected from a distance. Hmm. And then the outcome, I liked the outcome, <laughs> was the deer. Uh, and there is a dialect at work here. Two persons. <laughs> Things or ideas are at issue and require harmonization. You need to reconcile action with thought and let ideas become manifest as events. Uh, the outcome is dual and polarized. I just thought it was really interesting because I was a little like nervous <laughs> about this interview. I don't normally get nervous about interviews, but I was I was pretty nervous about this one. Um, Why? Well, I don't know. You're, well, I don't interview a lot of PhDs first. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not your ordinary PhD. Now. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm an old hippie that, uh, you know, still plays in rock and roll bands. You know, so I, I got a different thing going on. But you know, that that reading was interesting because uh, serpent is, you know, a sign of the East. It's one of the power signs mm-hmm. in the uh, Mesoamerican system, and uh, it, it, you know, it it's a um, to me, it's a, a sign of, uh, you know, importance and power and, mm-hmm. you know, take, you know, I'm talking about some, what I believe are some very big ideas. You're asking me the right questions, I think. And, and the, the uh, final card deer, that's, um, that's actually um, part of my own birth chart in uh, Mesoamerican astrology. I was born on the day monkey on the, the Tresena or 13 day period deer. And deer is very sociable. You know, deer travel, it's a herd animal. But it's also got its quirks to it. You know, there's a lot of independence and uniqueness to it. It's kind of like Venus and Uranus together in some ways. Yeah. So how so how does the the algorithm work? So the numbers that I put in were uh, 255 and 48. And then it narrowed them down uh, to numbers 7, 11, and Hang on, two. I don't know what the algorithm is. It, Barry is the programmer, and he probably just picked up one of these random number generators. Okay. You can get, you could just buy, you buy it. It's already written for you. I use them um, online. You can go to random number generators. And when I was doing, uh, you know, when I do a, like a scientific study and I want to have a control, mm-hmm. I'll use that. Okay. I'll just generate random numbers. So these are the controls. And then 
build my art, you know, then, you know, take each number that was generated as a starting point and build my study on it and then test it against what the real thing is. Nice. Okay. So I do have a question about your rock and roll musician situation. <laughs> So what do you, what do you play? Um, right, right now, uh, I'm an electric guitar player in a band called The Side Effects, and Very cool. uh, it's a cover band. And it's uh, stuff I've you know we play old old stuff, and uh, it's a surprising number of old people that go out. But you know a lot of Rolling Stones, ZZ Top, Beatles. Very nice. You know that kind of stuff, and I play bass in a band. I'm like a sub bass player for a Boston band called Deep Sea Divers. Mm -hmm. It's an all original and they have a, uh, some recordings out, quite good. Uh, Deep, Deepak uh, Chinapa is the, uh, you know, um, the, uh, the lead singer and writer, but the musicianship is pretty good. They got some really good songs and, you know, there's a couple other bass players they use, but when they play out this way, I, uh, I'm the guy because the other guys from Boston don't have to try. Boston's two hours from where I live. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a haul. Yeah, it is a bit of a haul. A bit of a haul. Where, where are you, by the way? I'm in Virginia, in Fredericksburg. Okay. Great. Yeah, but oh, I love I love Massachusetts. Yeah. Well, you could see in back of me. We yeah, we actually have a little snow still on the ground, but this is uh, uh from the woods in back of my house. Oh, that's nice. What a beautiful, what a beautiful yeah. There's backyard. A, a sunset there. Nice, nice. <laughs> I have uh, neighbors in my backyard. <laughs> Not for long. I got a lot of squirrels. <laughs> we have a lot of I'm too. training my, I've been training squirrels and chipmunks for, uh, you know, about the last 15 years or so. Yeah, what do you train them to do? Well, I, I require them to do two things. The squirrels go to one place, a designated spot, and the command is uh, get down on the ground because they come up on the deck where I'm sitting. And then they have to sit and I and I sit and then I toss them a peanut. And uh, I've been doing that. And the chipmunks, I have them do tr some tricks. Oh, you know, I get them to tr go into my pocket. They climb up on me and they go into my pocket and they get the peanut. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah. <laughs> no, what happened was about in 2008, I had another, uh, I had a bad accident and I was, you know, temporarily paralyzed below the neck and I had neck surgery and it really screwed me up I never got better you know I never got back to my old self and I used to be a hiker and get out a lot so I started mm -hmm. spending a lot of time sitting on my back porch and just watching what's going on and being a, a naturalist I was you know I got all the birds going on and the squirrels and chipmunks and it was just a matter of time before I got to know who they were and you know what they could do and it's pretty funny uh, my wife doesn't think it's funny. <laughs> not when Miss, not when Mister Scragglytail comes up and jumps on from outside the window and comes to right where I am and like you know almost like knocks <laughs> on the window. <laughs> That's funny. Now, so if I wanted to train my squirrels not to dig up my hens and chicks, how would I go about doing that? <laughs> well, see, that's why my wife doesn't like what I'm doing. <laughs> I bet. She's got a garlic garden back there. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, you, ha you have to have barriers or electric fence mm -hmm. or something like that. Squ you, squirrels just can't stop digging. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I love that you do that. I love that the chipmunks crawl into your pocket. 
<laughs> yeah, that's uh, you know different ones over the you know last fifteen years I've mm -hmm. had quite a few, and I, I I make these little stands that they jump up on, and I'll feed them from there, and it's uh you know every right now there's probably one uh, called uh, Longy that the, uh, one of my neighbors who was three years old named it that because it had a long tail. <laughs> and she's hibernating under my bird feeder and we'll see her probably you know it's they all come out right about the first day of spring Interesting. Like, of the equinox all the chipmunks come out of course the squirrels don't hibernate mm -hmm. well, what kind of birds do you see at your feeder well you know there's the um right you know there's the standard routine you know group we have you know the, the chickadees the titmice the nuthatches um all the all the uh, house sparrows. I mean, like tons of house sparrows, mm -hmm. uh, blue jays, and cardinals. Those are probably the main ones. And doves. Yeah. Doves come on. You know, I also yeah. I have th four different ways of feeding. The, the the doves like like to feed on the ground, so I mm -hmm. provide some food for them. And once in a while, some other birds come. In the spring, we get a, a few other weird ones. You know, we'll get um, red winged blackbirds, and sometimes we get cowbirds. And but um, you know. Mostly in the this, you know in the summer you got all the insect eaters going around. I'm not feeding insects. I'm just feeding seeds. Mm -hmm. But um, oh, and the juncos are here. Oh yeah. If you get any juncos that far down, but juncos you know migrate and they we, we get, I have about fifteen or twenty of them now. Yeah, we have lots of juncos. Um, I I am an avid bird feeder. I love I love my bird feeders. What um, are you getting? Uh, I actually just got a ruby crested kinglet for the first time. Oh. I know that was really exciting. Uh, they're so small. They're just really tiny. I don't think I've ever seen them around here. Um, I got woodpeckers on my suet. Nice. Yeah. Uh, the downy, hairy, and red-bellied. Red, yeah. Now, one time a peleated came by. Yeah, we had a couple um, peleated woodpeckers that were, I think they had a, a nest around here last year. Hopefully they'll come back. Yeah, I see them in the woods, but it was the first time they one one of them came to my suet, and it was too small for them. They couldn't get a good enough grip on it. <laughs> That's funny. They're big birds. Yeah. 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 I love I love birds. What else? Yeah. Do you you get you get a lot of cardinals down there. We have lots of cardinals. That's um, what I've heard that down south you get. We only have like one pair, two pair at the most usually. Yeah, we have lots of cardinals. We have a ton of bluebirds. Oh wow! Uh, my, here. my husband built a, a bluebird feeder a couple of years ago and put it up and within an hour he had bluebirds what do you feed looking at it um i i feed uh mealworms oh yeah that'll get them yeah and uh but then we also have some seeds that that grow around here that they seem to really like so wow uh, you know i I, I see a bluebird maybe once a year around here. The, the you know, we live uh, adjacent to a town conservation area and they have mm -hmm. bluebird boxes up and you'll see them, but not very often. They're, you know, when I was younger, I grew up in New Jersey. There were many more bluebirds then. Yeah, yeah, I've never seen as many as we have here, but my husband is is obsessed with them. So he, he caters to them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so. That's why we have so many. <laughs> I got a thistle feeder and I get uh, goldfinches. Oh, nice. I love goldfinches. Yeah, and that bossy old, uh, or whatever, uh, chickadee. As soon as the goldfinches come there, the chickadee harasses them and chases them away. 
that's not very nice. <laughs> uh, I had cedar wax wings last year, oh, last spring. I haven't seen one of those for a long time. Yeah, uh, they only they're only here for about a week and then they they move on. But I'm hoping I'll get them again this spring. Oh, great! Yeah, that birds are fascinating. Well, you know, you can see a lot in the backyard. Yeah, and uh, I put up a night camera, and you can get, see other things that are going on, like mm -hmm. the possum that comes by every night at eleven o'clock. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I uh, I do love that. I mean, you know, I live kind of on the suburbs. Uh, so we don't have a lot of wildlife, but what we do have, I really, really enjoy. It's, it's very nice. Well, that's great. Yeah. Well, I didn't expect to be able to talk birds with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Well, I actually am out of questions. Is there anything that you want to touch on that I, I missed? Well, um, in nature of astrology, yeah, there's there's some there. You could actually take pick up that book and read any chapter on its own in any mm -hmm. order. Yeah, and get something out of it. You know, the, like I have a chapter on uh, theories of astrology. Um, that's an I think a pretty good history of what astrologers have and other people have thought about how astrology might work or works. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a nice reference in itself. Yeah, there, there's a chapter on uh, research in astrology, and uh, I, I think my chapters on the uh, decline of astrology and the scientific revolution are pretty good. Yeah, uh, you know, it's stuff I've thought about for a long time, and you know, not that I'm a, a, an absolute expert on some of these, you know, subjects that that would have required a, a PhD in another area. Mm -hmm. But I have read quite a bit about it. I've I've always been interested in the. Um, uh, history of astrology. I, I was lucky enough in college, uh, uh, my BA was at Rutgers. I went to Rutgers in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And I had a, a, a professor, uh, Morris Berman is his name. And I took him, I had him for two courses, one of which was called The Scientific Revolution and the Myth of Objective Consciousness. And I said, what the heck? I got I to gotta take this course, right? So <laughs> Uh, and I, I found it, it to be terrific. He was, a, you know, bright, had a lot of ideas about, you know, assumptions about the scientific revolution that people held dearly were kind of really wrong. Mm -hmm. And I learned things that, you know, Newton was doing alchemy most of the time. And uh, so um, I, I, kept, I kept, uh, kept in touch with him a little bit. He's got a, he wrote, came out with a series of books, uh, another trilogy on the decline of the United States. Uh, one's called The Twilight of American Culture, one's called um, Dark Ages in America, America, and the other one's called Why America Failed. And so I've kind of kept up with him. And um, he's what's called a declinist. And, uh, but anyway, it was from him that I, I really got my initial ideas and interest in the scientific revolution and, and the role that it played in astrology. He wasn't so concerned with astrology. He was much more concerned with alchemy. Mm -hmm. But can you imagine being in college and being kind of a hippie and going to college in the 60s? And here's a guy that's talking about alchemy. That's That, that yeah. would be pretty interesting. Yeah, he was a tough teacher, too. If you went to his class and you didn't do the assignments, you got thrown out. <laughs> Happened to me once. That was it. Never let it happen again. Yeah, I, I think I would be mortified. <laughs> 
So, you, you know, I think the book, the book covers a lot of ground and, and most people would be able to find something in it for themselves. Yeah, I agree. I thought it, I mean, I've told you, I, th I thought it was really fantastic. And I, I'm going to send my, my brother-in-law a yeah. copy. <laughs> That's, that'll be the acid test to see if these people that are skeptics what yeah. the, you know, the, I have a, a brother-in-law that's reading it now, who's uh, an astrophysicist retired, and uh, he told me, he says, you know, he, you know, um, he said, well, uh, um, I can't say I'll read it. If I get past page fifty, I'll read it. But otherwise, you know, if I don't like it, I'm not going to read it. And I talked to him the other day. He says he got past page fifty. So oh, good. It's a good sign. Yeah, I was going to say, what was his what was his reaction? Yeah. That's hilarious. I've written a lot of other things on astrology though too. You know, if you mm -hmm. on Amazon, I've got a bunch of the books that I've written. Some yeah. are pretty technical, some are, you know, easy, uh, you know, uh, popular books. I, I wrote a book called Astrological Chart Calculations. And I, I wrote it really about 20 some years ago, you know, more than that, 30 years ago. And then I, I, I did another version of it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's pretty good, but who's, you know, who's interested in that? I think I've sold a hundred copies. <laughs> I think I could think of a few people that I know yeah. that would be interested yeah. in that. <laughs> I have a, in it. I have a history of trigonometry, which was really created lar largely because of the needs of astrologers. People don't huh. realize that. Yeah, I did not know that. I did not know that trigonometry was not my favorite subject in school. Yeah. Uh, but it was my, it was not my least favorite math. Yeah. What was your least favorite math? <laughs> uh, algebra. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I cannot wrap my head around algebra, but I really loved geometry. Yeah. Um, that made more sense to me because I could visualize it better, yeah. you know? Well, you know, geometry is a Greek thing. And uh, I, I liked geometry a lot when I was a kid, when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. Algebra is different. It was, you know, created by different people. It's, you know, Indian and Arabian, basically. Yeah, it, uh, it escapes me. And my, my children keep needing help. <laughs> and I'm like, I thought I was done with that. <laughs> so I have to learn it over again. <laughs> just give them the right YouTube video and they can figure right. it out. Yeah. yeah, thank God for Khan Academy. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so I will link your website and uh, links to your books on uh, on my webpage. Is there anything else that you want um, to tell the listeners about? Any upcoming events or any uh, maybe upcoming books you're thinking about writing? Or it's hard to say. You know, um, right now I'm trying to downsize. It's going to take a few years. I'm I have some pretty wicked transits going on. Pluto's opposite my sun. So I'm dealing with a lot of physical things. Mm -hmm. So I'm in no rush to do much, but I, I have, um, you know, some unfulfilled projects. R right now, I'm trying to work on some uh, recordings of original material. You know, I've, re re I've written, been a, a writer uh, for years. And um, mm -hmm. right now I'm working on a collection of instrumental pieces, guitar pieces. Oh, wonderful. You know, like surf music, kind of like that. You know? Yeah, great. <laughs> Where can we find that? <laughs> I want to get it done. I don't know what I'll do with it. You know, I'm, I'm <laughs> okay. doing it in my basement. I'm using a drum machine. And, oh, okay. You know, I, I just don't have the time to go to a studio and get everybody to learn all the parts. And, you know, I just yeah. don't have the energy anymore. But 
uh, but I want to get the ideas down. The ideas are good. That's awesome. My uh, my dad is a musician, and he has uh, he calls it his lizard lounge, and he goes up there and he plays his his guitar and he has you know all this fun music stuff. So when we go visit, he'll play the guitar and we all sing with him. And sounds a little bit like me. Yeah, we're not quite rock band material, oh. but we. <laughs> But we sure have fun. <laughs> yeah, I play I play anything really. And, you know, my wife takes care of a few little girls and little kids. She's a retired nurse. Okay. And, you know, I'll go upstairs. I'm where, I'm in my basement. It's cold down here now, so, mm-hmm. but but it's not not all year. It's nice in the summer because it's right. cold. Right? <laughs> but I'll go up there and there'll be these little girls having lunch and I'll have lunch, breakfast with them or lunch or whatever. And I have a guitar up there and and they'll go wild if I if I play like Doa Deer or I've been working on the railroad. And, oh, fun. You know, so I've got that whole thing going on too. <laughs> Do you ever play Puff the Magic Dragon? Oh yeah, many times. <laughs> My dad used to play that for me and I loved it. <laughs> it's good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming to join me on my podcast. My pleasure. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. And I'm I'm looking forward to to hearing those the music that you're <laughs> you're putting together yeah. <laughs> i know i know it's probably not going to come out but <laughs> well i got so i have some of it on youtube you know some of my old stuff a few new things okay is that under is is it just bruce yeah, schofield yes yeah, schofield 48 and you know many years ago in the uh early 70s i made a, an album called old seeds bootleg Ooh. and somebody swiped it somebody you know it was a, a small pressing but somebody, I think in Europe, got a hold of the record. It's very rare. It's now selling for about $400 for a copy. Oh. And they digitized it and they sell it. And every once in a while, it pops up on my YouTube screen. I'm saying, what the heck is this? This picture of me, you know, a long time ago. And so, you know, I'm out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh. I think my YouTube channel is called Schofield 1948. Okay. All right. Well, I'll link that too. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thank you again so, so much. You're welcome. And um, hopefully we'll be able to chat again sometime soon. Sure. Happy birding. Oh, thanks. You too. Okay. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Bye. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at The Hearth and Hedge on my website, thehearthandhedge.com, or you can email me at thehearthandhedge at gmail.com. I also have a Patreon that can be found at patreon.com slash thehearthandhedge. If you like what you hear, consider leaving a review wherever you find your podcasts. (laughs) 